Evening, Dan. Evening, pal. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. Managed to navigate some technical troubles on Twitter Spaces, but we're all good. We're all good. How's your week been? Uh, it's been good, thanks. I have got a long holiday to look forward to, so I'm quite looking forward to that, um, but not uh, not certainly not holding me up from a good bit of uh, interesting competition chat, which we want to get stuck into today. Well, does, does the, am I allowed to bring a substitute in, or is, it, is that just a, is that big no-go? What you do while I'm away, Dan, is is totally, I can't, totally yeah. up to you. I just, I can't. You know, I, I may come back and provide some feedback. I, I just on that risk, I couldn't do it. Nothing else. The <laughs> <laughs> wrath of my feedback. <laughs> um, go for it. We well, there was some. I, we the great thing is with this podcast is, and obviously the live is, we can literally get stuck into quite a lot of detail for things that have just sort of come up in conversation and been reported over the last couple of days. And two of the things that we're going to discuss about in terms of, I guess, a wider piece, which we've talked about this a bit previously around um, the future of cup competitions and, and that sort of logical extension, which has been reported around Champions League games or Super Cup games being played outside of um, of Europe to a degree in athletic and the Times piece today. I just thought those two areas sort of overlapped quite nicely for a bit of conversation. Yeah, definitely. And I think the broader context, um, well, there's a couple of pieces of broader context. First is the role and relevancy of cups, um, which I think is a conversation worth having because, you know, a lot of football is, and uh, the finance of football is dominated by domestic leagues. I mean, you look at the size of, Premier League deal versus an FA Cup deal. I mean that they're, they're not even in the same ballpark, um, and that's because a kind of sheer volume of games, which is attracted to broadcasters, obviously attracted to fans, uh, and then B cups seem to have lost a bit of their luster, and, and it's a bit chicken and egg, right? Because the the leagues themselves are so much money, so it's more incentive to do better in those and in the cups, um, and therefore teams field weaker teams in the cups and, and so on. So there's 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 a bit of context around like what what can cups be, what can cups do in order to be uh, more interesting and attractive. Um, uh, and then secondly, there's the kind of space around the calendar, which again is is you get a bit of chicken and egg. But you know, people look and clubs look at League Cup, FA Cup, and they go, "Well, we're not making much money from this. Um, you know, we're not playing our strongest teams. Fans don't seem to care." Again, that's you know, cyclical is chicken and egg. I'm not saying necessarily that cups are the reason for that. Um, and therefore, you go, "Okay, well, if we're going to minimise any competition in order to free up base for most obviously Champions League football, then." Um, cups are the, the obvious starting point and, and obviously there's been the discussion about replays discussion about how um, European teams compete in the League Cup obviously England and I think Scotland are the only two remaining countries now with, with League Cups um, so it's all you know this is all tied up in, in the economics of the sport and the commercial side of the sport rather than necessarily um, the sporting side of the sport and I think the sporting side of Cups and competitions have taken a bit of a backseat in terms of um, you know how we think about them so yeah perhaps we can get into a blue sky thinking along the line, but yeah, I'm interested in your thoughts on on some of the suggestions that have been reported in the last few days. Well, it's it, it's fascinating because there was um, a Martin Ziegler piece in the Times this morning around. You know, we, we've talked quite a lot, haven't we, around structural reform of the English game, um, fan-led review, project big picture, Super League. You know, all of these different ideas, um, which at its heart relate to competitive balance, um, solidarity, redistribution of income. Um, new ways to think about that, uh, those ideas generally. And then um, the, the reports from the Times this morning were that the idea that the Premier League clubs are considering plans to scrap FA Cup third and fourth round replays and then revamp, um, revamp the League Cup so that ultimately um, 
well, the, the first interesting idea or thought that I had was thinking about um, no FA Cup replays, um, greater the possibility for upsets, I guess, um, through, you know, one-off matches rather than two legs. Well, I guess there's no FA Cup two-legged, but over two legs, you'd expect the better, two legs, over a replay match as well, you might expect the, the ultimately the better team to, to progress. And then in the same way with the League Cup, Carabao Cup, I was interested that you said that actually it's only England and Scotland that still have a League Cup. I actually didn't know that, which is I found fascinating in itself, or maybe we can talk on that in order to make up um, fixture space, but that then um, those clubs competing in European competitions would either not compete in the League Cup or field under 21 sides. So again, I, without obviously going into the detail of it and too much, just from a fan perspective and from a structural perspective, this is obviously to try and increase the number of corridors for potential expansion of the number of Champions League games for elite uh, for those elite clubs playing in so European competition mainly for the new Swiss model but also I guess um, whether that has an impact on the not viability of Carabao but the attractiveness of, of playing in that competition and devalues the, the competition to a degree but I think the question I'd love to ask you are more obviously is these are some of them some of the points we talked about are quite are very specific points around petitions we've talked a little bit or you have about the future of the cups generally and um, I know you've got some interesting on how that could be done um, and 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 where things should go and perhaps be a little bit more innovative than uh, than some of these proposals not that these aren't innovative but go in a slightly different more structural direction yeah, I think there are certain things that can be done. I mean, the first thing I'd like to say and caveat it with is that I, I think the FA Cup's actually had a bit of a renaissance in the last um, few years. I think there's been some some of the big, biggest upsets we've ever seen in the competition. Um, the one that really comes to mind is that Bradford winner at Stamford Bridge. Uh, I think the same day City got knocked out of the cup, cup as well. There's been some, some really good, entertaining cup ties, some good finals as well in recent years. So I actually think of all the Cups in the world, the FA Cup's probably in the healthiest position. Um, but I think the important thing is it's probably not because of replays. And I think replays do have a certain romance um but you're absolutely right I, I, in many ways actually non-replays have more um of a romance um because you know they, they provide a better chance for it for an upset um so yeah i, I think that um you know it's, it's certainly just a bit of context around, around the fa cup i think more generally and and look, as i say it's, i think it's in decent health in england the fa cup i think cups like the league cup and, and actually to be honest having worked in a lot of other countries now european countries and um, outside the, the outside of Europe as well, you do see like attendances for domestic cup competitions are poor. Yes, they provide a route into Europe, and and actually they're great moments when um, clubs outside of the kind of traditional elite in those countries are winning leagues. Uh, you know, clubs outside the, the top, are, you know, when they're winning cups, I, I think it's you know it's massive for the supporters there. But that doesn't happen that often. And I think there's there's basically a few things <clears throat> that I think are interesting. Um, what, one of them is potentially. If you think about the long-term direction for mid-size and small-size European leagues, is exploring cross-border cups. Um, it's something that, in our work with the Belgian Pro League, about a year ago, there have obviously been discussions about Ben a league, the Belgium Netherlands cross-border league. One of the things we recommended was was a cross-border cup to test some of the appetite for that, and um, to see you know whether it would provide a bit of um, a bit of interest, a bit of intrigative. Um, so I think that that could be something that's interesting. Um, you know, should should for example the League Cup be a cross border competition between England and Scotland? You know, I think that could actually be really really invigorate the competition um, and add a add a really bit of interesting narrative. Um, you know, if you had English teams playing Scottish teams from 
round of 16 onwards or, or whatever it is and account for travel so it's something like that i think is quite interesting i think the concept of brackets are quite interesting um the idea that you might do the whole draw before uh, a ball is kicked or after a certain round or whatever um i you know again i, I don't think the fa cup is the competition for this because i think it's in good competition good space but you know, imagine the league cup where you know on day one actually a team could see their roots and let's say i don't know pick an example out reading uh you know think of it as a kind of historically relatively average championship team who wouldn't really take the cup seriously um you know a club like that maybe they would if they saw their draw was oh they've got a couple of league one opponents and then they might play a premier league team at home and then it's you know the, the draw opens up for them then actually do they take the cup more seriously um, and actually do all teams take the cup more seriously if they know their route to it because it might be that some teams who know they're going to have big games where if they win this round they get a massive game away somewhere they want to win that game and similarly, teams that know they're going to have easy games might take the cup seriously because they think, oh, well, we can make it quite quickly to the quarterfinals here if we don't kind of massively deprioritise the competition. So I think that's interesting. Uh, and then my third kind of slightly left field um, idea um, is giving teams the ability to pick their own um, cup ties. And the way I would do this is, again, this goes back to the heart of everything that's an issue within football at the moment, which is around purpose and what, what purpose do clubs and competitions um, have and I think there's a lot of challenges in the EFL around what purpose the number of clubs in the EFL fulfil. They obviously um, uh, all of them, many of them want to want to win competitions and get promoted and reach you know, the top division um, but in many cases that's not realistic and I also think in many cases clubs aren't fulfilling their original purpose of kind of serving their communities. So what if you gave um, a team in the FA Cup or League Cup the opportunity to pick their, their draw, home or away, against whoever they wanted to uh, based on you know the club that best served the community in, in the previous season, you know, whatever initiative they wanted to um, they wanted to say they did well in and put themselves forward for. So something like that, I think, would would kind of add more narrative to the cup, make it a bit more interesting rather than it just being um, you know teams being being drawn against um, each other randomly. So I think there's a few few things to spice it up, and I actually don't think that's super radical either. Can I ask one? I I, I love that sort of transparency idea. I mean, query again. Um... Uh, when we're talking about each each round of the cup and the the relative um, haphazard and random nature of that draw, are you are you saying that you just have one set of haphazard draws that then takes you almost like um, a tennis draw without the seeding, or are you sort of su- suggesting that there should be seeds, but then you can still see that draw accordingly? Uh, yeah, either really. I think uh, I know German football seeds, doesn't it? I, I think in the cup they have seeding and i think i'm right in saying the higher seeded team plays away so you kind of travel to a, a third division or a, or even a fourth division team i think um i'm i'm not necessarily massive I, I think the thing that the league cup needs is differentiation from the fa cup and i think you know the fa cup for me as i said i said earlier you now i think it works really really well i think it's in a really healthy space at the moment i think it's had some of its best years in recent years but i think something like the league cup needs a point of differentiation um and and therefore, something like seeding and away games and, and clear brackets and all that kind of stuff might be a way of making it interesting. Or as I say, you know, cross border, just just something I think that stirs it up, which is going to need to do because, as you said, like some of the reforms that have been proposed around teams in Europe not playing in it um, or fielding under twenty one teams, you know, it will feel a bit well. What's kind of the point? And I think having some alternative narrative would would help elevate that competition. But if we turn, we've obviously discussed sort of that that element of the future of cups based on some proposals that are reported to be put for before the EPL this this week, if um, the Times report is um, uh, is accurate. On the flip side, we've got almost the bridge, which is well, if we need to be able to make um, 
some type of space in the calendar for um, a, a larger number of midweek um, fixtures for an enlarged, an enlarged EFL, uh, sorry, EFL Champions League, um, Champions League set of fixtures. Then the, the same reports from the Athletic this week, if I remember correctly, also suggested that there were at least some discussions at UEFA level um, on their latest um, uh, conference in relation to possibly possibly playing uh, early Champions League Swiss round model games um, at um, neither home or away, but neutral grounds in Asia, America, wherever else it might be around the world. Now, it's got sort of twin tinges of game 39, but with quite a few differentiators. Um, any thoughts on that at all? Yeah, I think, well, again, it helps go back to the motivations for it. And I think, um, you know, playing overseas, um, you know, won't generate necessarily more ticket revenue for, for clubs. Um, it might, uh, it, it, probably in the short term, it, it might not have a huge effect on, on kind of broadcast or commercial revenue and, and um, for clubs because if there's only the odd game here or there, um, it, it's, you know, unlikely to, to cause massive swings in in how sponsors or broadcasters, how attractive they see the, the competition. Um, but I think ultimately this is like the, the, the individuals that are thinking about this are thinking about this as a, as a long-term play. Um, you know, how do we, um, how do we establish our clubs and the Champions League as, as a brand that truly is global? Because one of the big challenges it has at the moment is that it's just not in a convenient time slot. Um, you know, it's, it's obviously midweek evenings, which really you can only watch in Europe. Um, you know, in, in the US, people are working, um, you know, the other side of the Atlantic. And, and as you get into um, past West Asia, really, the, it's in the middle of the night um, in Australia, obviously, early in the morning. So it's, you know, it's, it's not ideal um, for international audiences. So the only way you can really make it for international audiences is to play in other countries. I mean, you could play, I don't know, middle of the afternoon on a Wednesday here in the UK for, for Champions League games such that you can get an Asian audience. But I, just, I, I could never see that. I, I think that's even less palatable than... Um, than playing overseas so the motivation is obviously purely kind of long-term um, commercial establishing it um i yeah i must admit i'm not i'm not a fan for a couple of reasons so firstly i just think environmentally if just, there's enough travel travel as it is um you know in, in european competition you know shuttling off a bunch of teams um on, on probably chartered flights or, uh, or or whatever to other parts of the world it just doesn't strike me as a particularly green solution which is something that sport needs to be thinking about more generally um, but then secondly, you know, it, it, there is an element of sporting integrity that feels undermined. I, I think um, perhaps US um, listeners and, and sports fans take a different view on it, having seen um, the case in the NFL and, and NBA and so on. I know NBA has got more games, um, but it, it's, it's more I think it's more achievable within the, the Swiss system because, um, you know, if Liverpool and uh, Ajax are in the same group and Liverpool play, you know, you know, off six group games, they would only really ever play one in a neutral venue. So you might play um, away at Ajax in a neutral venue for your home game. That really does undermine the integrity of competition. I think if you've got 10 group games in particular, then it becomes a bit easier to say, well, it's only 10% of games. If it's 10 group games, if it's one game or if it's two games and you can balance out the home and away, you're obviously not playing. You're only playing each opponent once. So it's a bit like a neutral game against a certain opponent. And, and I think there's fewer integrity issues. But yeah, I must admit I'm not, I'm not a massive fan of it. Um, I I think the more likely direction of travel for the Champions League over, call it 20, 25, 30 years, is, is weekend games, which goes back to the, the discussion we were obviously just having around cups. So, yeah, I, I'm interested in your view on it as well as both a fan and, and someone who obviously has an eye on the integrity of competition. 
Yeah, I think, well, again, if we go back to go forwards, the, if you recall game 39 from quite a while back when Richard Scudamore was chief executive, um, brought all types of um, fire and uh, anger from fans, game um, sort of stakeholders and administrators generally from lots of different directions. And part of that was obviously the sporting integrity of having to play one more game somewhere against someone it's an indefined time and so it it was almost like you're adding one extra game on where uh, that would obviously cause issues for you know the strength of opposition where it would be played um, and how that would work rather than here which is we were having the discussion before weren't we around if there was just the Swiss model that it could effectively be some type of algorithm could be implemented to ensure that the, the home advantage or lack of home advantage in a few games could be mitigated um, to a degree in order to benefit, you know, that club or clubs to benefit the commercial upside of having it in another another broadcast country. I think the interesting thing that I had, I was thinking about Omar, was what do you... Uh, my concern is, is that, you know, all of these national association federations in countries that UEFA would like to potentially host these games in would obviously be pretty... I would have thought pretty against such um, sort of cannibalization of the local market, but I guess the query was what what incentive what is incentive enough for them to agree to such um, a proposal or such a structured proposal, um, bearing in mind the the huge audiences at least locally that you could get from hosting a game every now and then at a particular territory, because ultimately you know. Um, I can't, I can't quite see commercially how it would work in that particular jurisdiction. But again, I'm sure there would be some interesting incentivizing models for it to potentially happen. Yeah, it's a good point. I, um, yeah, it's, it's often a point not raised, actually, what domestic markets think of it. I can't, I can't actually remember at the top of my head what um, happened with that. Was it Barcelona-Girona game that was due to be played in, um, in the US? Yeah. Whether, whether the US um, soccer actually wanted that game or not, I can't, I can't quite remember. Um yeah, no, it's it is it is a big issue. Um, yeah, the, the cannibalize. I mean, it's happened already to a degree. The cannibalization of of local leagues. I mean, you look at. I mean, the, the example I always think of is the Norwegian um, league, where they are Premier League mad. Probably the most Premier League mad market outside of um, outside of England and Europe. Um, and so, basically, never schedule games. You know, alongside the Premier League, certainly not the biggest games alongside the Premier League. Whereas, obviously, the big five leagues regularly do. Um, so you know, in, in many ways, in some some leagues, that, that's already reached that tipping point. Again, I, I suppose the the incentive would be the commercial incentive. So if you were to play a game in Singapore, and um, it'd be interesting to know what what the where the flow of money is, because there's an argument that Singapore, like hosting a Grand Prix, they they want to pay hosting rights for a Champions League match because it's got a certain appeal. But equally, Singapore might say, well, actually, we we need, we need to be compensated here because actually, you know, this cannibalizes our domestic products, makes people even more interested in in big foot in the big football competitions and, and less interested in ours. So, I'm sure there'd be there'd be some countries that would um, pay a check though to to have those games. Yeah, it's fascinating that sort of F1 model to to a degree for one-off games um, or one-off events. Uh, I guess F1 more over a much longer weekend period. The the flip side of that, or rather the the the, the extra element that was being talked about in that article was around uh, possibly an expanded Super Cup, um, whereas that one Super Cup game could be played um, somewhere else, which I guess would probably be more palatable and maybe easier to actually occur. And, and you had a, I, I found that fascinating um, uh, idea around actually co- connecting either the men's and women's game uh, or cup games together for some type of bigger um, event. And uh, it'd be great to, to hear that in a bit more detail. Yeah, I just think, I mean, I 
pretty much never watch the Super Cup. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you do, but I mean, I, I might watch it if, if Liverpool are involved, but I wouldn't really pay attention to it in a, any other year. Um, you know, obviously I, they take it around kind of smaller stadiums in, and smaller member associations across Europe, which I think is a good thing, but it's, it's not a competition that's really got much meaning for, for neutral fans in particular. Um, but I do wonder, you know, the Women's Champions League expanded last year. It's a much more kind of heftier competition um, now than it was, say, two or three years ago. Uh, the final last year was fantastic. Um, I, I wonder if you have an almost joint Super Cup where uh, you've got, uh, so Leon and Barcelona, obviously the finalists last year, you had Liverpool, Real Madrid, the finalists in the men's. Why not have the men and women's team from all those clubs competing in kind of semi-finals and finals? So you'd have... Um, I don't know, let's call it Liverpool against Liverpool runners up in the men's against Leon, the winners and the women. So you have Liverpool men play Leon men, uh, Leon women play Liverpool women over kind of two legs, winner advances to the final. You would probably back Leon to win that, I think, because Leon women are so much better than the Liverpool uh, women. Uh, and then similarly, you'd have Barcelona Real Madrid head to head, which I imagine, again, Barcelona would probably win, uh, maybe even both men and women there. Uh, and then a two legged final. I, I just think something like that. I, I, the, you know, again, just trying to create relevance for these competitions that I think people aren't interested in any other way. That would be a really fascinating way of, of doing it and, and actually be an incentive to invest in the women's game because Liverpool wouldn't want to turn up to those competitions with, with a, you know, fairly average women's team, which is what they have for a number of years now. Um, whereas, you know, other, other teams would, um, yeah, you know, they'd want to be able to be competitive in those competitions. So, yeah, uh, that's one of my kind of big wacky ideas again. But, uh, Again, I, I just think there's there's a real distinct lack of creativity on the sporting side of some of these competitions that um, I would certainly like to get my hands on. I really love that idea. Um, it'd be fascinating to see. You know, there was a, there was a really interesting report that UEFA did on um, the the future of the women's game. You know, we're seeing a lot of um, content being provided, at least in the UK, for example, by DAZN through the uh, their YouTube channel, for example, which is streaming huge numbers and. Uh, you know, I, I think there was over three or four million people watched the the Leon Barca final last year, which was, as you as you said, a fantastic event. Um, I almost think that you make one mainstream by the other, and one uh, provides more coverage and spotlights for the other as well, and vice versa. So I think that combination approach, even if it's not necessary for the both UCL finals, but for the equivalent of what might be a Super Cup, provides a bit of, a bit more flexibility and a bit more innovation to to do something a bit a bit special like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and they've got, you know, they've got the opportunity to do it, I think. Um, there is space in the calendar for a Super Cup. Um, so in effect, you block off that weekend already. Teams, you know, have to postpone games they're playing it. So, you know, we you mentioned F1 earlier. I don't know if you saw the F1 calendar. Uh, it's just released 24 races for, for 2023, I think it is. Um, which, is it 23 or 24? I forget now. But it, it was certainly, it was... It was a huge number of races, and it just reminded me of the issue, for, same issue that football's got. Is that everything, everything is just focused on volume and, and trying to maximise every single weekend in in the calendar. And at some point, competitions reach breaking point. Football is really cre- creaking, I think, in many ways, which is why these conversations are happening. Uh, but maybe, maybe in a few years' time, we'll have these conversations on, on Formula One and other sports as well. Omar, brilliant stuff as always. Um, enjoy your time off, and um, hopefully, you still want to do it when you get back in a few weeks. I certainly will, mate. Look forward to it. Brilliant stuff. Thanks again. Cheers. Thanks for listening. You can follow me on Twitter, TikTok and Instagram at Football Law. Read my blogs and listen to my previous podcasts via my website, danielg.com forward slash blogs.
please do subscribe to the Dundee Football Podcast. Like, share and tag me. If you like the content, if not my voice, you'll probably also like my book Dundee, an insider's guide to football contracts, multi-million pound transfers and Premier League big business. A bit of a mouthful. It's available to buy in hard copy, digitally and via Audible. All links are in the podcast show notes. Lastly, the podcast is powered by 13, which is a fashion brand I've started. All proceeds go towards cancer charity research and particularly the stellar work done by John Krell, who has helped my mum through some difficult times over the last few years. You can take a look at the merch and hopefully buy a t-shirt, hoodie, cap or all three. Please do spread the word and go to 13shop.co.uk. That's 13shop.co.uk. Thanks for listening.